0: Listen to our scripture reading this morning. It comes from the book of Acts, chapter 17. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship. I found among them an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown. This I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live. So that they would search for God and perhaps grope for Him and find Him. Though indeed He is not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being. Even as some of your own poets have said. For we too are His offspring. Since we are God's offspring we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone. An image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now He commands all people everywhere to repent because He has fixed a day on which He will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed. And of this He has given assurance to all by raising Him from the dead. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, last week we read a story of two parties discussing the significance of Jesus and how God was at work in Jesus' life. We have a similar story today in terms of the setting. There are still two parties discussing But last week, Stephen was the primary speaker. If you weren't with us, or if you were, you might remember, you might know the story of Stephen speaking with great passion to these other religious authorities. And things escalated until they were out of control. And finally, Stephen is stoned to death. He becomes the first martyr of the Christian movement. And the story had a little line that we didn't spend much time on last week, but is important for us to know this week. It said, Those who came to stone Stephen laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. So back in chapter 7, Saul was part of the attacking party. Now we're in chapter 17, and Saul has gone through a great transformation. He is the primary speaker in the story today he's the one the foremost one now proclaiming that jesus is messiah and lord he's gone through such a change part of the story we knew him as saul once he's gone through this change acts refers to him as paul he becomes the one that many of us know as saint paul he's written much of the material That's in the Christian scriptures or letters of Paul to early Christians. Well, last week, Stephen attacked with great passion those he was debating with. Paul takes a different approach. He begins with a compliment. We heard it in verse 22. As he stood in front of them, he says to them, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are In every way I can just imagine Paul with his uh, Athens visitors guide to monuments and shrines and he's walking around taking notes looking at all the different places in Athens preparing thinking about if I get my chance what will I say they love all of this art and architecture perhaps I can use one of these when I speak to them and sure enough when Paul gets his chance He's very complimentary. He knows he's a guest among them, and they have this beautiful city, and he tells them that he understands that. But he says, as I wandered around your city and looked at all your monuments and shrines, there was this one. Now, Paul sees this as his chance to have an entree to get these people to listen to him. He says there was this one shrine. It was set up to an unknown God can kind of sense that Paul's audience, the Athenians, might be leaning in by now to see what he's going to say about an unknown God. And what Paul says is, what you worship is unknown, I know about. Let me tell you about this God I know, and you can know too. And then Paul launches into Probably what Alicia went through in her final oral examination where she's declaring that everything she knows about the nature and identity of God. I think Paul tailors this particular speech that we have in the 17th chapter to the Greek mind. He knows the Greeks were lovers of philosophy. They liked to talk about the nature and identity of God's. They had many. Paul wants them to believe in the one that he knows through Jesus Christ but he doesn't start with stories about Jesus and his resurrection he starts in a much more philosophical or theological way telling them about the God that he knows he names six characteristics of God I want us to walk through them verse by verse we won't take the whole time but I want you to see these important characteristics that Paul's pointing out first He says, God is the creator of the world. It's in verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it. In a sense, Paul's saying, let's go back to the beginning. This God is the one who started it all, and this God you can know. The next one is related to the first. Second is, the creator is therefore Lord of heaven and earth. Paul is saying, because God is the one who created, God is the one with power, unlimited by us. God is the one who is able to create everything and is therefore ruler or lord of all. You hear it in the last part of verse 24, where he brings it home by saying that this God does not live in shrines made by human hands. We don't shape God, God shapes us, Paul is telling these Greeks third he says god is sovereign a sovereign has to do with the idea that god is independent that god doesn't need any other entity to help god in any way you hear it in the first part of 25 where paul says nor is god served by human hands as though he needed anything god is sovereign is independent of us Creator, Lord of heaven and earth, and sovereign in all of that. Fourth, he says, God is also provider. You hear it in the middle part of verse 25. Since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. Paul is saying, this God who created heaven and earth is Lord of all, gives us everything we need for life and health. God is our provider when we got together every week for worship here together after we passed the offering plates and had an opportunity to give gifts back to god we would stand and sing the doxology and we would praise god from whom all blessings flow it was a weekly reminder in song. That all that we have, all that we possess, all the blessings we experience in this life come from the hand of God. That's what Paul is saying to these Greeks, that God is also our provider. Then he circles back to the whole idea of God being creator. But then he adds a little something in verse 26. He says, from one ancestor, God made all nations to inhabit the whole earth. And he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live. Here is another claim, thus the fifth claim. God is transcendent. Paul is saying that God is not bound by time and space the way we are. In fact, God is the one who sets the boundaries of time and space. But it's a classic Christian affirmation that God is beyond all that we can comprehend That God is not limited, as humans are, by time and space. But then Paul says, you know, humans have a sense they want to search for God, grope for God, he says, and they can find him, Paul says. It's in verse 27, toward the end there. He says, though indeed God is not far from each one of us, Christians make both of these claims that God is transcendent and imminent. The theological term for the sixth claim says God is imminent or close to us. Even though God is beyond us, God can also be very near us. In fact, Paul quotes another inscription he finds. He says, even your poets, he says this to the Athenians, even your poets have written in him or in God. We live and move and have our being. Paul is making connections with what the Greeks have already thought, but he wants to expand the way they are thinking about God and come closer to what he is trying to teach them. The Greeks love to speculate or engage in philosophical argument about who God might be. And often they believe they can't really know God. Paul is saying oh no you can know God because this God is present with you and not only present but this God has acted here in the world for us and for our lives Paul says in fact God is calling us really he uses stronger language in this passage he says God has commanded us to act let me read that to you there in the last part of verse 30 Paul says to them God has overlooked the times of human ignorance now God commands all people everywhere to repent or to turn toward God or to align one's life with God's life Paul is saying to these Greeks oh you can talk about this all you want But I can tell you about this God, and this God is very near to you now, and this God has acted in history, and this God is commanding or calling you to act in response. We can act, Paul proclaims, because God has acted in Christ. Now, Paul makes all of these claims about God before ever mentioning Jesus or the resurrection. To these Athenians he's building common ground. He's building rapport unlike last week where Stephen took the common ground He had with the other religious leaders and used that to attack them Paul uses common ground or common understanding to build rapport to draw these Greeks in and then He tells them what God has done in Christ through the resurrection. Let me read that very last verse to you he says, because God has fixed the day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Paul's tying this idea of God's action in Christ to our ability to act. God has acted so we can repent and turn toward God and be assured that God is with us and God accepts us and God is at Work in our own lives. The question is Will the Greeks respond? Will they be persuaded by what Paul is saying? But it's really not just a question for the Greeks, it's really a question for all humanity. I've put in your outline Will we turn toward God and God's ways of love? It's a question all of us have to answer in our lives over and over. Are we turning toward God? Are we following God's way of love as revealed through Jesus Christ? It's an important question for us to consider in our own lives. Been able to watch a little more television during this COVID-19 outbreak. No meetings at the church, so no meetings at night, so I'm home every evening now. It's been wonderful. My wife Mary and I have been watching more television. We've been asking friends on Zoom and other places if they have any recommendations some of our friends recommended a production a movie based on a play called an inspector calls it was a fascinating story it begins one evening where a well-to-do english family is having a celebration dinner of their good fortune their daughter's about to be married and there's a knock at the door the maid come and says, there's a man at the door. They said, send him away. She says, well, he says he's an inspector. So he said, all right. And he comes in. And the inspector tells him that there's been a death. One, Eva Smith, has died. And he asks, do any of you know her? And they all say, I did not know that woman. Well, then he begins to ask each of them some questions. And one by one, you find out they all know her. They have all had dealings with her. They have all interacted with her. Some of them have had ongoing relationships with her. But what comes out is they have all treated her horribly. They have all contributed to her demise. And now her death, which they find out was suicide. You can see them all beginning to feel the pangs of guilt for their role in pushing this woman to the margins of society, to the fact that she doesn't have a job anymore because one of them fired her, that she's been marginalized, and now she is destitute. She has looked to some of them for help through a charity organization. She's been denied. She has lost all hope. And now she is dead. The inspector makes a final speech before he leaves. I want to read you just a few of the sentences of what he said to them. He leaves them with this to think about before he departs the home. He says, but just remember this. One Eva Smith has gone But there are millions and millions and millions of Eva Smiths and John Smiths left with us. With their lives, their hopes and fears, their suffering, and a chance at happiness all intertwined with our lives and what we think and say and do. We don't live alone. We are members of one body we are responsible for each other and i tell you that the time will soon come when if people will not learn that lesson then they will be taught it in fire and blood and anguish and then the inspector leaves That's not the end of the movie. You'll have to watch it to find out how they respond and if they decide to change their behavior or not. But Paul has said in the last verse we read today to the Greeks, because God has fixed a day on which He will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed, and of this He has given assurance to all By raising him from the dead. People so often say, especially in America, I am free to act any way that I want. But through the ages, Christian pastors and theologians have said not so fast. That's not exactly right. As long as your behavior is callous or careless or selfish or even worse, if it's intentionally hateful or hurtful then you're not acting in any way as a free person because you are bound by sin you are only acting as a free person when you are free to love all of god's children when you are free to love all of god's neighbors i've put in your outline a few more blanks here. I've been thinking about these people who don't want to wear masks. They say, Oh, I'm free to do what I want. And yet, then some of them end up assaulting those who are trying to keep us all safe, and particularly those who are most vulnerable. And what I put in your outline is this question Are they acting out freedom or acting out sin? Paul says he's a changed man, and indeed he is, because he is one who has changed from one attacking those different from him to one reaching out with God's love to those who are different from him. Paul says that he's been set free, and it's no longer he that lives, but Christ who lives within him that empowers him to be one who bears Christ's love to those with different ideas and different identities and different views of how God's at work in the world. And yet Paul carries God's love, in this case, to these Athenians, to these Greeks, and says, you too can know God because God has acted for you in Christ through the risen Christ. Well, we need more people, I think, who are willing to bear Christ's love the way Paul did. I'm looking for positive examples of that. You can see them and how people are rallying to care for one another. I read a story today, I mean earlier this week, that I want to share today by Dr. Sanjay Gupta. He's a physician. He's on television Somebody but he also works in health care and in hospitals. He says he's been inspired by all the people who have worked extra hours and have pulled together to help save other people's lives but he said on a personal note in my own family my 11 year old daughter's birthdays come we had to cancel the party that we were anticipating because it's not safe he said he was really afraid that she would be devastated But he said he was so surprised and pleased that rather than spending her birthday moping around, being devastated by the fact she couldn't have a party, she spent all day making masks for people who needed them because she knew that lives were in danger if the doctors and nurses didn't have masks. What a great witness by an 11-year-old. I was also inspired, though, by a Another story I read about the number of volunteers across the 50 states in the U.S. So often when I read these stories, Oklahoma ends up down toward the bottom of whatever they're measuring. But this time we did much better. Out of the 50 states, we were number nine in terms of numbers of people volunteering this year. I thought that was fantastic. The highest state had 44% of their people reporting they'd volunteered. Oklahoma had 36 percent. I thought it was a good sign that there are a large group of people in Oklahoma who are showing care and concern for others who are giving of their time and their talent to serve somebody else. I think it's the same spirit that Paul embodies as we read about his life in Scripture. Paul is bearing Christ's love to others with different ethnicities, with different backgrounds, with different beliefs, with different theology, and yet he's willing to talk with them and offer to them the good news he's come to know in Jesus Christ. We need people who are willing to bear Christ's love like that to others. May we, the Boston Avenue Church family, be those people in these days. Amen. And thanks be to God.